This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Ishmael Kawaja. Hello, hope you're doing well on Monday the 17th of October. Thanks for downloading today's podcast. There's been another major demonstration by environmental campaigners in Kent, which you'll hear about shortly. But first, the remains of a mum of three from Deal, who was murdered by her husband more than 20 years ago, have been found buried in a garden in Dorset. 34-year-old Debbie Griggs was pregnant when she disappeared. Lucy has more on the story, so what's the history of this case? Well, Andrew Griggs initially reported his wife as missing in May 1999. He told police she'd left their family home in a rage after he came back from work and fell asleep. Andrew moved to St Leonard's in Dorset in 2001, following the conclusion of the first investigation into Debbie's whereabouts. He also remarried but was arrested in 2019 after cold case detectives handed a file of evidence to the Crown Prosecution Service. He always denied being involved in Debbie's death or disappearance, but he was found guilty after a trial and jailed for life later that year. Okay, so tell me more about the update from police today. Well, we found out specialist officers excavated the back garden of Andrew's property in Dorset earlier this month following a tip-off. Human remains were found and tests have confirmed they belonged to Debbie. Detectives say the discovery is further proof her husband was lying throughout their investigation. He even tried to overturn his conviction in the summer, but the appeal was thrown out. So what happens now, Lucy? Well, more tests are going to be carried out to find out how Debbie died and how her remains ended up in Dorset. In the meantime, Detective Chief Inspector Neil Kimber from the Kent and Essex Serious Crime Directorate says this will bring some form of closure for her loved ones. He says whilst they continue to mourn her tragic loss to this day, I hope they can take some comfort in the knowledge that she can now be laid to rest. Thanks for those details, Lucy. Now, just off oil protesters have warned of plans to keep the Darfur crossing closed for 24 hours. Images at Kent Online show two men from the environmental group straddling the suspension cables of the QE2 bridge. It's caused chaos for drivers heading into Kent from neighbouring Essex. They climbed up there overnight as part of a demonstration urging the government to stop using fossil fuels. At the time of recording today's podcast, police told us they were trying to bring them down safely. Well, Morgan recorded this message while halfway up the bridge, which, as you can expect, is pretty windy. Good morning, I'm Morgan. I'm a civil engineer from London and this morning I have climbed up this cable of the QE2 bridge over uh, of the M25 crossing the Thames. Um, it's been really difficult. All we've had to grip onto this cable are um, some rope slings and our legs. I'm willing to do this kind of thing. <sighs> Because I'm not willing to sit back and watch everything I love burn for the rest of my life. And that's, that's what's happening. That's what's happening. And the current fraudulent charlatan excuse for a government we have here is accelerating that process, granting more licenses for oil and gas. Absolute act of treason. 
selling all of ourselves and our children to an uninhabitable earth. And I believe it's my duty to do anything in my power to stop it. I'm going to stay here until the government makes a meaningful statement that they will end new licensing and consents for oil and gas extraction in the UK and that they will start an emergency transition to the renewable energy that we need funded by the fossil fuel companies and the rich. We're out of time. Gareth Johnson, who's the MP for Dartford, says he hopes the members of the group are locked up and has called them utterly selfish for causing traffic misery. He went on to tell us their actions have no consideration for the general public as well as being counterproductive to their cause. Well, we asked you in the story whether you agreed with what they were doing and an overwhelming 95% of you voted no. They should raise awareness in another way. Other top stories today. A Kent woman believed to have been murdered in Peru has been remembered as someone who brought sunshine into everyone's life. Carla Godot's body was found in a shallow grave in Lima. Her boyfriend, 46-year-old George Gray from Hythe Street in Darford, has been charged with murder after being arrested in London over the weekend. A mum is calling on a Medway school to do more to tackle bullying after her son was sent home covered in blood. 13-year-old Aidan Parsons was punched in the face at Brompton Academy in Gillingham. Staff apparently said he was fine, but he was later found to have a broken nose. The school hasn't responded to our request for a comment. Three Kent men have been arrested in Folkestone after DJ was found dead in Woodland in Lawton in Essex on Saturday. Officers think the victim, 43-year-old Corey Alpergin, along with a woman in her 30s, were taken against their will from Enfield in North London on Thursday. The woman's been found and is unharmed. Kent Online reports. Now, new data shows which schools in Kent have the highest suspension rates. Children at Oasis Academy, which runs two sites on Sheppey, were sent home more than 700 times in the last academic year. Steve Chalk, who runs the school, says the after-effects of COVID are to blame as children haven't recovered from the impact of the pandemic. Elsewhere, Archbishop School in Canterbury had 287 suspensions, the equivalent of 50% of the pupils on its register, while Abbey School in Faversham dished out 383 suspensions, that's more than a third of its pupils. Data also shows there were 47 permanent exclusions in Medway schools, the same amount as the total for the rest of the county. Well, I've been getting the thoughts of the man who obtained the info, Peter Reid, who's an education expert and former Gravesend grammar head teacher. He says he's worried about the impact on children's mental health. Please make no mistake, the mental health issues brought about by COVID over the last couple of years have not gone away and they, they're going to leave long-term effects on many children. Unfortunately, some schools seem to have said, tough, we're going to come in hard on misbehaviour. And, and I shudder to think what that effect that is going to have long term. But these schools that are high excluders are all predictable, which is even more worrying, isn't it? This is tough love, as I call it. And it's wrong and the children will suffer. But someone has to be in control. It's the governors who are responsible for the head teacher. What do you think is the right approach in, in terms of getting the right balance between, say, tough love and, and going to the extreme yeah. and permanently yeah. excluding some children? Please make no mistake, I'm a long retired head teacher. So it's not my job. And 
I'm not able to comment on how you treat such issues sensitively. What I do know is that all the um, evidence is that exclusions where they are being tough um, has, can have long-term effects on children, their mental health and their futures. You mentioned there you worry about the long-term impact and we, we already point out that mental health is certainly still a big issue. If more and more kids are being excluded, what could the potential damage be for their long-term future, not just mental health, but just their education? Kent has a policy that where a child is at risk in a school, a permanent exclusion, the local area schools will see if another one can take them on. And that happens considerably. So they're avoiding, you know, the point of permanent exclusion, which has to have a major effect on children's lives in many ways, because it's on their records, which will haunt them for some time. Kent avoids it. Medway, a sixth of the size of Kent, has the same number of permanent exclusions. Something is wrong somewhere. This is the future of children. It's all very well people saying, well, you know, they're misbehaving, they're being punished appropriately. They're not. Some are. Government says permanent exclusion should be a last step. Well, my answer to people who are permanently excluding at large numbers is you haven't gone all the way or else my god there's a problem there somewhere and ultimately the best place for a child to get the best education is to be in school isn't it yes absolutely i don't know what happens to children who are permanently excluded in medway in kent the local authority takes on a responsibility i think to find alternatives i don't know what's happening in medway and it worries me the new Chancellor has scaled back support for energy bills and overturned almost all of the tax cuts announced in the mini-budget. Jeremy Hunt's latest move is an attempt to stabilise markets following a turbulent few weeks. Our priority in making the difficult decisions that lie ahead will always be the most vulnerable. And I remain extremely confident about the UK's long-term economic prospects as we deliver our mission to go for growth. Mr Hunt says the energy price guarantee will now only be in place until April instead of two years. And that review will look into what to do from there. Our business editor, Chris Britcher, has been getting the reaction of Professor Catherine Robinson, who's Deputy Dean of Kent Business School at the University of Kent. In terms of the economy, this was very much about reassuring the markets and by creating that sense of uh, that sense of confidence in we know what we're doing and we're going to be responsible, we're going to be measured, we aren't going to announce anything that's not funded, we are going to live within our means. Um, very much the rhetoric, I think, that we'd heard uh, from Conservatives for, for a number of years. And, and so from that perspective, I think everyone will feel a little bit more relaxed um, uh, given the announcements this morning. And just on the um, sort of consumer competence, obviously the the sort of rollback on the um, energy price cap to just till April, um, and obviously we've got interest rates already going up. I, I am guessing this is to do with trying to bring inflation down. But there is a there's now an uncertainty, isn't there? Where we were all sat here thinking, okay, we're safe from the energy bills going sky high. Now we've got until April, and our mortgages may be 
soaring out of control as well. Do you think that's going to have a significant impact? So that that's the downside of the announcements today. The markets may be reassured, but we are still in for an incredibly tough time with regards to um, individuals and consumers in general. Um, there is that huge uncertainty and fear I think, around energy prices. We've got the assurance that this plan will stay in place until April, which is a good thing. Um, however, there was quite a lot of research done, uh, certainly at the National Institute of Economic and Social Research had published some work prior to the mini budget that had talked about maybe a more targeted uh, energy uh, support package um, that would have cost the the UK taxpayer less, but would have supported those households that were most in need. As things currently stand, it's a very blanket approach, um, which is easy to administer, uh, and and lots of people will feel some benefit, but it's not necessarily addressing those that will experience real hardship. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. A Kent woman who's among 17 people being evicted by developers near Dover claims they're making her homeless. Janice Shells is one of just three residents remaining at Bayhill Close in St Margaret's Bay. This all started really at the very beginning of Covid when um, we were all just trapped in our houses and very vulnerable, very scared and everything. That we started seeing people arrive on the green out here, this really sort of special special meadow, and this was the first that we was told that this property had been bought, and before it was owned by the Bay Trust, and um, it was very much the trust. The ethos was about community, about sustainability, about the environment, and. This all had happened without us knowing. So then at the very beginning of COVID, we discovered that we've got new owners. And February 21, we were all given an eviction notice. And there's been absolutely sort of no communication between then and now. Uh, we've heard nothing from the new owners, which is Bay Development. We've heard nothing from the previous owners, who was the Bay Trust. And there's been very little communication between Tersons, who are the property management team, about rehousing. Nearly all the other residents left immediately because of of their, their their needed to sort of you know carry on living, and they didn't want to live under threat and everything. But for myself, I've been here 17 years. There's been other residents a lot longer, and we have just tried to fight to keep this building because it's a listed building. It's very important for the area, the community, and it's now been sold on. All of us have got to get out and it's just basically for profit. And so it's gonna be from what is a rented accommodation of a community to a gated community with just very expensive individual um, yeah, properties. I've found myself now in a really awkward predicament because um, I've lived here for 17 years. The last two years have been very challenging, so I haven't been able to work. Some of it's been to do with ill health and operations and parents passing away. Um, But because of not having a well-paid job, now I find that any accommodation that potentially could be offered to me, I haven't had anything, 
I do not have a year's rent in advance to give. I don't have a huge deposit to give. The council have nothing and their only solution is that I can go in temporary accommodation, but that doesn't account for 18 years of, of all of my storage, my library, my art collection, my very beautiful plants, things that I've built up over the years that have made this my home. So I feel incredibly vulnerable. I don't know what to do. There's been no offer. There has been a very small offer that's very pathetic, but it's not going to help me in any way. So this whole situation of being evicted is, is just, yeah, I just feel totally abandoned. She's facing the exit in less than two weeks after the building was snapped up by a new developer to refurbish the site. Well, they say they've been in contact with her for the past 20 months and have offered to help find new accommodation. The family of a Kent boy who was left fighting for his life after being run over twice have launched a high court case against the driver. Eight-year-old Charlie Golden suffered a traumatic brain injury and serious pelvic fractures when he was knocked down while riding his scooter outside his home in Elsham three years ago. It's claimed the woman in the car was distracted by her dogs, but no criminal action was ever taken. Meanwhile, a Kent mum's again calling for road safety improvements a year after the death of her daughter. 13-year-old Mia Lawrence was killed after being hit by a car at Whitfield Hill in Dover. The teenager had been forced to choose between crossing the road or using a dimly lit underpass. Mum Dawn Hopkins says she doesn't want this to happen to anyone else. I think since it's all happened, nothing's changed. They said they filled the fence up, but it's been pulled, pulled down again where they cut through. I'm still going ahead with <coughs> the petition to get a overpass there. We're going to call it Myers Way, that's what we wanted to call it, but... They're building one for the new housing estate down in Whitfield. I think it's like an overpass or something like that, a building. But nothing for this side. We've still got the underground to go through all the time. Just nothing has changed apart from a few lights down there. That's about all they've done, really. It would just help because the amount of people around here go to both schools and then travelling under the underground, it's going to start getting dark soon. No one's going to like it, even though he's got new lighting in there. It's just no one's going to want to go that way. The only other way is through the traffic lights, then under the underground, so even then it's not very well lit, but it's the only way we've got to go, otherwise if it's an overpass it'd be so much easier to get that side, especially with the winter coming, it's, they don't de-ice it or anything, so it's not just us, it's the elderly people, people with buggies, they're just going to struggle to get down there. Over Council say they're aware of the family's ongoing concerns and understand the issues. Kent Online reports. Hundreds of new jobs could be created, with Medway's second-largest employer set to move to a £100 million factory. VT Rice is said to be in advanced talks with the council to leave its three factories on the Medway City estate in Strood and head to a 40-acre site at Kings North on the Hoo Peninsula. It's hoped this will meet growing demand for their products and double the firm's workforce to 600 over the next five to six years. A retail unit in Canterbury that's been empty for more than four years could soon finally welcome a new tenant. Agents for the former Pound World store in the high street have revealed two deals fell through due to COVID, but say they're hoping to exchange contracts shortly. They're keeping the identity of the likely tenant under wraps. But you can let us know who you want to see. Come to the high street by commenting in the story on our website website. 
Elsewhere, the former Barclays Bank in Tenterden High Street could be turned into a shop and two-bed flat. Tenterden's London Beach Hotel is looking to transform the building, which would include new windows at the front. The plans come just eight months after Barclays shut its doors in the town for the final time because of a drop in footfall. Now, letters and pictures about a man who served with the RAF during the war have been found hidden at a home in Ashford. The documents were discovered while renovations were being carried out at the property in Bromley Green. They tell the story of a Henry Simmons who went on to join the Royal Engineer Reserves. Darren Songhurst has lived in the house for 10 years. He's been chatting with the reporter Chantel. It's only because we're, we're doing some renovations at the moment that we op- we literally just uh, was pulling everything out from under the stairs and there was almost like behind some timber under the stairs, there was, my wife found the edge of an envelope when she pulled it, uh, literally all of this was in it, which was uh, a bit of a, a shock. We've contacted the previous owners who we bought from and it's not nothing to do with them and they've from what they're aware, it isn't anything to do with who they purchased from either, so it's a bit of a mystery. Mm. So you're hoping to get it back to the family, at least the family name, um, and if you can't track them down, what do you think you'll do with it? I mean, hopefully we can find at least somebody that that's related um, to Henry, because, I mean, there's some fantastic stuff to look through here, and it's a real shame... Um, if it can't go to a family member. But other than that, we have contacted um, the RAF Museum, who said they're more than happy um, to take it off our hands. And obviously they'll use it um, in a way that they see fit for people to be able to look and read through it and that type of thing. So. Mm. What do you think is the most um, interesting find? I mean, it almost tells a story in itself. I mean, you've got school reports here going back to 1926 when he was at, um, at school and like leaving school at the age of 16 and his, uh, and his grades for his, um, for his exams that he'd done, literally going from that right the way through to obviously him then serving in the RAF and, uh, and beyond that. What there isn't really, although you've got the Queen's coronation and that on there, there's not a lot of information after the war um, as to what he went on to do apart from serving in the Royal Engineers. But there is a lot of letters as well that are in here where he was obviously writing to somebody um, in Kenya that he became friendly with in Kenya. So there's quite a lot of letters back and forth um, from the two of those as well that are extremely interesting. And letters when he was serving as well where he was um, writing to his mum back in Kent um, about what he was up to while he was out serving. Um, and what it was up to on a day-to-day basis. There's, there's input in there as to what the weather was like on, a, on an individual day. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. There's an awful lot of information here. And a bit of good news, if you often use public transport in Kent, bus drivers have called off a strike that would have caused disruption in the county later this week. Hundreds of Arifa workers in Northleet, Gillingham, Maidstone and Tubbridge Wells were due to walk out on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. The companies reached an agreement with the union on the latest pay offer, which will now be put out to members in a ballot. Kent Online Sport. Football and Gillingham have managed to hold top of the table Stevenage to a one-all draw at Priestfield. Former Chills manager Steve Evans was in charge of the visitors and both teams came away with a point. Current boss Neil Harris is feeling positive. I thought first half we were miles better than them, weren't we? Um, 
one, one effort goes in the back of the net, and that's, that's what Mali Baju was sent forwards. Um, it was a great, great header. Um, that I think we'd be disappointed as a, a unit that we didn't defend the cross slightly better. Um, but we could have been in front with Cash's miss, obviously, just before. And we get ourselves on level terms with a good finish yourself. Um, I thought it was excellent. We really stood up to the physical challenge. I picked a team accordingly. Uh, we knew what was coming. And uh, you can talk about how direct they are and what they do, but they're really good at what they do. Really good at it. So, um, yeah, we stood strong. So really pleased the first half. Second half, I knew an experienced manager would have to make a change, um, whether it was at half time or just after. Um, they obviously changed shape, which is testament to us as a group that we've made the top side in the league change shape at half time against us because we were so on top. Um, and then I, I had to adjust during the second half. Um, I didn't feel overly threatened in the first sort of 20, 25 minutes of the second half. But then we just had one moment where we switched off to allow uh, Roberts to go through on goal. And, um, that probably counts because our cash a chance at the other end is a good opportunity. So, in, in, I'd say over the 90 minutes, draw fair result. Chillingham have now gone four games unbeaten in League Two. They're 18th in the table and host Barrow next Saturday. Well, that's all for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. You can also now get access to the ad-free Kent Online premium site by subscribing at kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall.